Hello and welcome to Bros Watch PLL2. I'm Benjamin Light. I'm Marco Sparks. I'm Heather Hogan. And this is Jacob Clifton. We are back to talk about PLL. It's been a while, but we got a new season coming up, uh, so we wanted to do another roundtable. Thank you to Heather and Jacob for joining us. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, we've got lots of questions tweeted at us and emailed to us, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, here's one from Benjamin Light. It says, what did Maya know? <laughs> 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 did Maya ever know anything? Maya's eternal, so she probably knew everything. Hmm. Wonder if maybe they can get Marlon King on the record after the show's over. <laughs> what was that supposed to mean? <laughs> uh, no, more seriously, from uh, White Star seventy seven KC. Please discuss Ezra as the ultimate villain, and then prayer emoji. <laughs> Oh, I feel like you should start that one, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, really think no matter what happens on the show, that Ezra is the ultimate villain of the show. Um, or, or at least what he represents is the ultimate villainy of the show. Um, and I think to me, the interesting thing about Ezra is that uh, the attempt to redeem him, like the thing that happened on the chairlift that time where he's like, where he confesses and it's supposed to be like, this is the redemption made it so made him so much worse to me. <laughs> um, I've never been able to like walk back from that moment where he was like, okay, so I kind of did know that you were like 15 when I seduced you and that I was going to be your teacher, but also I had seduced your friend, but I loved, like I loved you and I was in love with you. Like, I'm like, that's not, a, that's not a redemption. So um, I do think that Ezra is a predator and I think that he, represents will always be the villainy of pretty little liars to me which is um men in power uh, taking away agency and exploiting um young women for their own personal gain i agree i would add to it though i think that one of the things that the time jump has done is give us a little bit of uh distance from <clears throat> sort of everyone's grossness <laughs> but i think that in terms of symbolizing the ultimate villainy of this show i think if we can do anything to distance ourselves as viewers from sort of black and white demonizing Ezra, because it's the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and nobody sets out to say uh, to themselves this morning, I'm going to prey on young girls. <laughs> this, this is the morning that I'm going to make sure that my uh, daughter, Charlotte goes completely bug shit crazy and kills everybody. Like nobody, Nobody ever sets out with that intention. Mona didn't set out with that intention. Charlotte certainly never set out. Well, Charlotte kind of knew what she was doing. But just in general, if we can say uh, if we that we live in a system where these things are institutionalized and where these things are normal and where these things are normed, that uh, not pinning it all on us. Am I making sense that there's, yeah, a, there's yeah. sort of a scapegoating mechanism that we can do if we can instead look at the system as Ezra is less of a victim than most of the male characters who are one and all horrifying, but 
that being able to see him through Arya's eyes as she suddenly gains five years of perspective, I think is a good way to, to locate that um, in a way that problematizes the whole thing because suddenly it's not, it's not uh, that, you know, the Brookhaven, what was it called? Uh, the Ravenswood reveal where he had his creepy house with all the cameras and everything. They're like, <clears throat> it can't be that simple and it can't be that easy. He has to be part of a larger system. And, uh, and so I think focusing it on Ezra actually works to further that once we, once we come to terms with who he is now. And also that he's crazy in a completely different way now is cool. <laughs> and sort of adds to that thing of that if he was ever in control, he's certainly not in control now. And that's something that he needed to understand at some point too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't add anything worthwhile to either of those. I think you're both absolutely right. I mean, it was just occurring to me like a handful of people that he's wronged over the course of the show include teenage girls, all women, children, single mothers, students, <laughs> coffee shops, coffee shop patrons, <laughs> writers, readers, uh, got people with facial hair, um, people who have real problems, Emily. <laughs> um, yeah. I, God, people who enjoy sex scenes, I guess. I'm... The other thing, too, is flashing through my mind of how gross Ezra is, as you guys are both talking, was that love scene from the last episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys summed it up. Ezra is is the avatar for the systemic problems that face PLL. I do want to give Norman Buckley some props here for every time he has to direct Ed. Arya and Ezra love scene. At least Arya's always on top. Like every time that Norman directs, directs a scene, that's that dynamic. It's always Arya on top. So I, I want to just give him some major credit for giving her some power in that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with Ezra, to me, like the, the bridge too far is that he knew from the very beginning about Arya. Like you could almost maybe squint and be like, well, he's a scumbag, but maybe he didn't know. He fell in love. But like, no. You knew the whole time there, there, this is no star-crossed love situation. This was all, always your plan, you know. Um, yeah. but yeah, he's, his villainy is so casual. He, especially with five years later, you kind of see how, how much of a pass he gets from everyone else. Like he's basically like this alcoholic loser, but he <laughs> still has this like credibility as a writer for some reason. Yeah. Um, he like even Mona is still like being treated like garbage by the other liars constantly. But Ezra, they're just kind of willing to be like, Oh, that's okay that you were spying on us for a while and, and didn't tell us anything about your ulterior motives, but you know, we'll still hang out with you, but ooh, boo, Mona, you know. The the reaction to Ezra in the show always reminds me of John Hamm's character on Thirty Rock in mm-hmm. the beginning, where he's like <laughs> It's like you're like a cartoon pilot or whatever, and he doesn't really understand the way that he moves through the world is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and people make so many excuses for him. So I always think about that in like Rosewood, that he is that John Hamm cartoon pilot character. I just, my now my bucket list is for Ezra just to be like, what? I just really like to bake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Ezra's a good example of how some some people will mm-hmm. always get away with it. Uh, just because of who they are. Right. Here's a more philosophical question. If someone pays you $20 to watch PLL and you don't watch it, are you a good friend? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> um, what? 
I guess the idea is if you were really trying to get someone to watch PLO and you paid them to do so and they still didn't do it, I guess, would they be a bad friend? I almost just said, like, I almost was just like, who gets paid to watch television? But, like, I, li- I literally get paid to watch television. No, no, they're not a bad friend, but they should give back the $20, I think. Okay. Yeah. Don't steal from your friends. That's not a friend. <laughs> so hence, a bad friend. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, here's one from Monica. Are you ready for the final season of the show? I, I am. I think, um, I think the thing, I think the thing that could make this final season really good and really great is that, um, Pretty Little Liars has always been building toward never giving answers. And so if they are contained in this situation to 20 episodes or whatever, and they know that this is for real, for real, for real, the end, um, I think that there could be a real sense of urgency and answers and, um, just some really good character beats throughout these last many episodes that often comes at the end of a show when people know that like a show is, I think one of the great, one of the t- worst things to happen to storytelling is, um, in recent times is like you succeed, like the longer your show goes on. And that's not necessarily true. I don't think it makes for good storytelling at all. So I think having like a contained season is going to be really good for the show this year. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. And I also think because so much of the energy of the show has been spent on sort of tracking each of their development and sort of in response to the stresses that they're being put under and the fact that everyone is very different from when they started, having, like you said, a firm cap on it means that we will we will be able to retroactively look back and see the entirety of those lives and the entirety of those arcs. And that is just super satisfying because you want to know what happens and you want the best for these girls. But... But you also want to see, you know, with this with this grand experiment of having them tortured by several anonymous people in succession will actually do for them. Right. And that's that's a theme that they've returned to, you know, a few times over the years. Certainly Mona's always there to give voice to it. But I think that uh, in the end, being able to look back and say, wow, Arya started out like this and she actually moved the needle a little bit uh, and became somebody cooler would, would be a, a fun thing to say, an experience. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's whatever happens to your television characters, it's it's what they do with it, you know, and it's this is the end of the journey. You hope something's learned, something's satisfactory, something's worthwhile. But I love I mean, I mean, in circles that we all know this is a great show. People like it. I mean, it's had ups and downs, but, you know, we like the show. We're obviously talking about it. But I think in the general, in the mainstream, maybe the show hasn't quite in gotten that respect or what have you yet still so i i always like when a show lasts long enough to kind of do that victory lap towards the end and i don't know the emotions start setting in it's the senior year we're signing yearbooks or what have you mm-hmm. um i want i want the trailer voice like every journey that has a beginning <laughs> has an ending you know i i, I want to see like Ari and spencer throw the ring into the lake of fire at mordor i, I want to see what I, they do I, after i literally want to see that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd say I'd say I'm ready for this to be the final season. I know they're kind of talking about some sort of PLL new class type thing, but uh, all stories have to end eventually. I think you see this if you watch enough TVs, especially serialized television. You always kind of note that like the first two or three seasons, they're really on point, and then it's you know then they got to start stretching it out, and it's this familiar cycle that a lot of shows go through. Uh, I think what's kind of neat in PLL's case here is that. There have been these shows in the past where they always had this idea of how to end it, 
Uh, the ending is never quite as satisfying when you finally get there, I think, because it's it was like an old idea and it hasn't that idea hasn't developed along with the rest of the show. And so, you know, I think the Charlotte reveal is kind of that idea for how, to, how they, they had to end the show for several years. And now they've got to come up with something totally new. So we're not going to get, you know, like the How I Met Your Mother type of ending where this has just been sitting there, you know, stagnating for years and years as they had to come up with something new. So hopefully they've got something pretty good for us. Hmm. Uh, here's another question from Monica. If you could live in Rosewood, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will just say, as the lesbian on this podcast, I would be the least likely to ever, ever, ever. <laughs> Not even with Emily Fields there? No, you know, Emily's just, um, Emily, I, no. <laughs> no. I've always seen... had fantasy, but. No, go uh, ahead, Jacob. Sorry. I just said I've always, I, I've always thought I would be a really good cop. <laughs> and in the real world, I think that there there are several impediments to that. But in Rosewood, I would not only get onto the force day one, but I would also be the best cop. You would without any training at all, and that that would be me. Who would you choose as your partner? <clears throat> Who's available? Mona or oh, you mean Pam Fields? Not Toby. Toby. <laughs> he works there. Yeah, not Toby. Sean Ferris. <laughs> I desperately want somebody to do a supercut of PLL cop scenes where they just <laughs> put Jacob okay. in there. Yes. Like at Wilden's funeral and all the cops are there, there's just Jacob like high fiving people. Yeah. <laughs> or like walking past as Toby's eating those gummy bears. Um <laughs> Jacob gives him more gummy bears. <laughs> I uh would I want to live there? I don't I I don't know because I feel like the slice of life for normal residents is that they just cross the street when they see the liars right. coming down the street. I mean, they have literally been in the newspaper like after uh, uh uh what's his name like Hung, Ian Hung. So I feel like they're notorious and terrifying and I mean Emily's your barista who's constantly walking off in the middle, you know, of you paying for your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ever sit in one spot of a coffee shop because these girls are there. I mean, I would be terrified. I would love to drive through for a weekend. Um, I would love to go to that place where you throw plates against a wall. <laughs> I mean, here's a, a like a Jonathan Franz and ask writer who has his own juice blend and a coffee bar. I but living there would be terrifying. I think. I feel like that was a real diss on Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would definitely want to live in Rosewood. That just seems like so much fun. I would just go get up every morning at like 4 a.m. whenever the liars go to the coffee shop, and I just plant myself in the corner and watch, I'll watch all the drama. Mm. It'd be like free entertainment. Are you kind I of like the... a, I just was saying that's a that's a bit of an Ezra move. I just want to go follow <laughs> the liars around and <laughs> listen in on their conversations and, yeah, so and then write a book about so it. <laughs> Well, he's he's already got his excuse when he's cornered. I, I've lied about a lot of things, but <laughs> where I would want to live is Ravenswood, and not the Ravenswood from the show Ravenswood, but the super scary one from the crossover, like the backdoor pilot, where there's like the PAs playing like 
ragtime tunes and everybody goes and hangs out outside that giant statue for no reason in the middle of the day. Like it was Bioshock. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have to have a special kind of automobile to even get to Ravenswood. It's what it's like in that backdoor pilot. I loved that backdoor pilot. It was the creepiest yeah. thing. Yes. That was scary. <laughs> well, the, uh, like, maybe he was albino gardener of guy. <laughs> Who looks oh, like he's yeah. never seen technology, but he has a flip phone at one point. Uh, so good. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about how they all went to like stand around that statue in the middle of the day. That was cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like Bioshock. That is tight. Okay, I have kind of a, a long and wordy question from Peaches here. Uh, begins with the preamble. Peaches writes, uh, I can't help but naturally want to compare post-Mona A reveal to post-Charlotte A reveal and notice a stark contrast. I know that Vanessa was unavailable working on another show, but I was strongly looking forward to her owning the storyline the way Janelle did in season three after her reveal. I have a difficult time buying that five years forward, we wouldn't have gotten any greater amount of screen time with Charlotte too, and killing her off so quickly was a major disappointment to me because of the loss of potential story between Allie and Charlotte alone in excellent acting modes. Care to speculate what would have happened to this character without the unfortunate constraint of unavailability? I agree that um, I agree because I think we all love Charlotte as a character. Um, we, we just loved her. She was, she was like the next best thing to Mona. She was on par with Mona. The, the stuff that she did, the mannequin leg, the going through, like coming like back just to give Allie this perfume, like for Christmas. And, like, she was just so great. And that actress was so great. And so to be able to see her in that kind of Mona way would have been truly, truly amazing. And it is, a, and that's a huge regret for me too, because after the reveal, I even wrote about this a little. I was like, maybe, you know, maybe Mona became the best character on the show to me after the reveal. So maybe that would also happen for Charlotte. So it was a bummer that we didn't see that. I completely agree. I still, I, that's, I still don't quite comprehend exactly uh, how it all went down. But I miss her. I missed her when she wasn't around, and now I really miss her. To have jokingly paraphrase Owen Wilson. We all know Custer died at Little Bighorn, but what this book presupposes is, what if he didn't? So, like, what if CeCe comes back? But I also, if I remember correctly, in our first roundtable, the spinoff we could all get behind was the CeCe Drake, like, variety hour. Yes! <laughs> Where she helps you revamp your restaurant and then she burns it down. <laughs> so, whether it be a flashback or whatever, I would just, you know, before I even got no con or jenna back i would like do whatever i could to secure vanessa ray you know for any amount of time um, like everything that she did was so magical even if she was just on the screen for a second it was so weird and wonderful mm -hmm. yeah i'm trying to think like what would have happened i think mona mona in the psych ward she made this amazing transformation where she managed to make you feel very sympathetic for her almost as though like she wasn't responsible for anything she did um even though she she definitely was like uh, she she mona has this way of being like oh why would you be so mean to me kind of you know like a vulnerability that she projects that i don't think charlotte would have done but i think she would have gone in kind of a different direction of being maybe more we just get like the full you know charlotte personality not even trying to to be you know, fake about anything anymore. I think that would have been really fun for them to be able to like visit Charlotte, kind of, you know, see where she, what she thinks about a development or something like that. Uh, I don't think she's actually dead too. So there's that. I hope yeah. that. 
I, I think also, like, early seasons Allie, when Allie was so great at being Allison De Laurentiis, mm-hmm. with, like, a post-reveal Charlotte, like, what could those two not accomplish together? They could do anything. And it would be so fun to watch them team up and just burn down whatever. Trade souls. <laughs> Trade souls, back and forth. <laughs> Dresses souls and burned out. Yes, just absolutely. I just want to see her come back. Whatever her familiar relationship is, I just want to see her come back and like make fun of Jason during <laughs> that time they were dating <laughs> and why he was so frustrated. Um, he's Jason's coming back, right? I think I yeah. like that, yeah. Jason 2.0. He's like, you know how five years ago I took over the Kerasimi group? Ran <laughs> into the ground. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> I, I just Donald Trump the whole fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've gotten some of this so far, but uh, from Andrew here, he asks, which characters aside from Jenna do you hope make their triumphant return in season seven? Uh, and which characters do you hope are never seen nor mentioned ever again? I mean, <laughs> Noel Khan, obviously, right? Yeah. And Sarah Harvey on the <laughs> other side. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would not meet, I would not mind seeing like um, a return to uh, the black and white noir fever dream. Oh. Rosewood from Mona's perspective would be a lot of fun. For, that's something that I would really love. Oh, wow. uh, like there's a part of me that really is like, yay, Paige is coming back. But also I just want Paige to have gone away and triumphantly and never returned ever to Rosewood ever again. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but I would obviously love very much for Charlotte to come back. And I do... I do. I would love to see what Jenna's been up to. Yeah. What if What if Jenna and Noel Connor married? That makes sense, right? That would be beautiful. It would be beautiful. I uh, I always liked. Uh, I think it was Benji who threw out the idea that uh, what if Jenna came back married to Peter Hastings? For <laughs> 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 dating Peter Hastings, I always liked that one. <laughs> yes, and she calls him Peter constantly, and it creeps uh, Spencer out. <laughs> That's so good. This is very good. Uh, I want to see Miles Corwin come back, the PI. I always like that guy. He's only in a few episodes in season three, but I like the idea that the pacings have a PI on retainer for whatever. Oh yeah, sure. Well, because you need to do the backdoor pilot for Hastings and Hastings and Hastings and Hastings. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't ever want to see Lucas come back. <laughs> I'm sure he will be back. Um, I would. I mean, unless it's like something where like Sarah Harvey strangles him to death <laughs> uh, or drowns him. In yeah. a shower. Yeah, Lucas has to drown. If he's going to die, he needs to drown. Because he, you know, he died that one time in the river. Hannah did drown him. Yeah. Yeah. Then so. He's stuck. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to see Sarah kill somebody in a shower and then just wink at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want Sarah to die now, mostly because I made a video for it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much, I mean, we haven't gotten a backstory from her. I don't know if we really need one. I think maybe she works as just being kind of weird. Yeah. Well, I've probably seen her as like, in, in the in the first iteration, the, the Jenna thing was that she was like the only thing the liars had ever really done wrong. Mm-hmm. And so she was, she was creepy because we had to feel the way the liars felt being around her. And now Sarah Harvey with her stupid gloves is sort of fulfilling the same thing where it's like she's always in the corner of your eye and she's got these gloves on and she can't eat soup. And it's, you know, as much sillier than the original Jenna creepiness as Sarah is sillier than Jenna. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
But I ultimately, like, I, where I thought we were heading was a rehabilitated Charlotte would be like that for everybody. Like, if you took everybody's right. trauma from the entire series and balled it up into one lady, that was the CC that I thought we were going to meet. And then you wouldn't need Jenna or Sarah Harvey anymore. But Jacob is the only person that continued to point out over and over and over again when the liars really hated Jenna and they were always like trashing on her and like whatever. And, and she was like always the bad guy, always the bad guy. Jacob was the only one who kept being like, you blinded her. <laughs> you threw a firecracker at her head and blinded her. Like they were always acting like they were the victims of Jenna when really they perpetuated like a terrible crime onto her. <laughs> and I always appreciated that Jacob always kept that straight for us. She was like the Japanese horror movie embodiment of their <laughs> their thing they did wrong. I always I, the paragraph I can't I don't even try to do it right, but Jacob had a great paragraph about whenever Jenna shows up because like blood goes upwards the wall, time yeah, goes backwards, yeah, yeah. <laughs> roaches control the earth or something. I mean, it's like end of days happens. It becomes Ravenswood uh, when she's <laughs> around. Resident Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was why I just love the the bit in season one when Hannah slaps her. There's this sudden moment where you're like, wait a minute, our supposed protagonist just slapped a blind person and threatened her. <laughs> and she's the one who blinded her. Yeah. Well, and the the Sarah thing is not the same as the Jenna thing, though. You know, so it yeah. doesn't quite work. Um, and, and I think, Heather, you pointed out so perfectly is that Sarah always felt a little bit more like a plot device than an actual romantic connection with Emily. If that had been more solidified, maybe there'd be more story there, but there's, there's not really like, I don't think Emily necessarily looks at her and thinks, Oh, this is the one who got away. <laughs> you know, I think she's just like, next time I'll, I'll, I'll burn more than your hands or something, you know, like Sarah brought them to that building to die after stalking them and infiltrating their group. And as they were shoving her to get out, of the way, that's when she burned her hands. It's not like it was some kind of first degree thing where they were like, let's get back at her. I mean, it was all very like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I think season six, it was, I think they were trying to do too much on the fly. Like, I think they had this idea of like, what if, what if there's a Sarah thing, like a Jenna thing, but they, they didn't really have it in a convincing way to truly make it seem like the liars did something wrong. Cause when you saw what it was, you're just like, there's no blame there. Yeah. And it's just, it's all so hard. Right, right. It was just that part of the equation didn't work out because all the stuff leading up to the reveal of the Sarah thing, I loved her presence. She would just show up and stare at them like wide eyed about blinking and they'd be like, you know, and like jump out a window rather than look at her. And then when you find out it's because she, you know, tripped and grabbed onto those things and her hands got fried and maybe they're not even really fried. Yeah. I just want to see that guy eating ice cream again. Her like comfort bro. Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah. The only ice cream I remember on the show is when Marlene King's kids started, like, I guess started in one of those early seasons and they were eating ice cream and walking down the street and they hurt Toby's feelings and he went and <laughs> cried behind the fence. <laughs> I wish they could do that again. That'd be good stuff. Oh, Toby's hair back then. Wow. Someone should do a video of Toby's hair. <laughs> they should. So here's one from Raquel. She uh, wants to know our speculation. Who killed Charlotte and who is Charlotte's father? Uh, I think the show's leading up to Lucas being like the ultimate bad guy. I can see that. He's up to something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more than just like his obsession with Hannah. I think there's something really bonkers about Lucas. And I don't know. I don't know who Charlotte's father is. 
Let's just say Peter Hastings. Let's just say Peter. Peter seems like the most likely. I mean, right. That's what I got. It would be great if it was Byron. Mm. Oh my god, it'd be so good. But Byron doesn't. I mean, we know By- Byron's not capable of holding on to a secret. So the fact <laughs> that he was like, "Oh, you know your friend Allison, who I had a super creepy relationship with." I also knew a lady that looked exactly like her mom, but like okay, but but in a wig, and <laughs> she had a baby. <laughs> Whereas Peter Hastings could say that, and you'd be like, "Yeah, of course." Mm-hmm. Maybe it was something where Peter like didn't realize it was the twin sister, like one of those like soap opera moves. I like that. Oh, right. I mean, there's always the dark horse candidate of it being like Tom Marin. Because he's already a piece of shit. Um, How Marin? Uh, if I was like, that actor, I'd be a little upset. I'd be like, really? I don't know. I saw Tom Marin very briefly on on the first season of Unreal, and I could totally see him impregnating Mary Drake. Uh, <laughs> just he was on Days of Our Lives for like twenty years when I was a kid, and I even on Days of Our Lives, I can also see him impregnating Mary Drake. He's got a great soap opera actor name. Yep. Rourke Critchlow. So good. Uh, any thoughts on the NAT club and whether or not they'll return? That's from J.R. Lindy 003. I, aren't they all dead besides Melissa? I guess there's this idea that there was some benefactor like guiding them or funding them or whatever that might still be operating. I doubt it. I think there's way too many mysteries already that she needs to answer <laughs> in this season that probably aren't the NAT club. Although Lucas is in a prime position to have taken that over. Yes, mm. he is. You're absolutely right. And he, he's the kind of person that would. Yeah. We just rewatched the uh, the one where Emily gets a massage from A, which we found out <laughs> later was Lucas. And it's like, that's actually really creepy when you think about it. Like, that's not, like, of all the t- possible, like, A helper type things Lucas could do, that one's pretty far out there. Yeah, be like, okay, sure, I'll I'll go pretend to be a masseuse and give a te- naked teenage girl a massage. Well, I then... love how that how we find that out is that it's after Mona is revealed, and then that next morning she like steals Spencer's car and go gets coffee for everybody, and then she's sort of like breaking it down, and then she's like, "P.S. Lucas is the one that gave you that massage," <laughs> <laughs> like out of nowhere. I love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes on the whole show. She had her own set of keys. She did, oh, that's right. She had her own set of keys and she knew everyone's coffee order. Well, like five years later, Emily, why are you staying over with Hannah and Sugar Daddy Lucas's like apartment? Have you ever talked about it? Yeah. Doesn't that, how does that not creep you out forever? Right. Right. You seem tense. <laughs> oh, I just want him to come up and just like be that jerk and starts giving her a back yeah. rub and she just, oh, her shoulders yes. flex so hard that she breaks his fingers. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm I'm pretty sure Emily's probably never gone to Masseuse again after that. Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah, so we got one from uh, T W Lewis eighty three here who asks, uh, or they say my favorite shows are Dawson's Creek and PLL. Any suggestions for a new show when PLL ends? Gossip Girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you haven't watched Gossip Girl yet. <laughs> I am also surprised. Gossip Girl's a good bridge between Dawson's Creek and Pretty Little Liars. So. <laughs> Having only watched a little bit of Gossip Girl, isn't that kind of the show where, like, Ezra wins? <laughs> I mean, because isn't that dude basically, like, Ezra, but, like, younger? They have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> Did they write a really bad book? <laughs> they wrote a yeah. 
Just a few <laughs> <Okay>. USA tickets. <laughs> multiple terrible books. <laughs> and and it had like Jay McEnry like show up and give them advice on how to yeah. write those bad books. <laughs> well, there you go. He, uh, the best thing that Dan Humphrey ever did in my opinion is he wrote a poem called Sluts and he published it in the New Yorker and it was about his girlfriend. <laughs> Sluts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a victory for the little guy, Dan Humphrey. Yes. <laughs> Ezra's like just reading that at a, at a Hollis, and he's just like, "This is why I want to be a writer." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, having, having not seen Gossip Girl, the only thing I could think of is maybe like the OC. Um, oh, that's kind of cool. similar. The OC is pretty perfect. It is the first thing they did. The OC. Go ahead, Jacob. I'm sorry. Oh, just that they did the, the same thing because season four is so tonally different and so clearly the last season, mm. like you were talking about before, mm-hmm. that it's just, it's like watching a different show. It's, it's the most exciting way I can think of to go out. Oh, what if, what if tomorrow's episode, the premiere starts with Spencer in an underground fighting ring? Oh. <laughs> just, just working some issues out. <laughs> oh, that's Holden. Holden is a guy I would love to see come back. I'd love that little kid. Oh, yeah. His little face. He's, so is he still alive? I think so. Cannot what if he got? What if he got Wayne Fields' heart? Oh, that's right. That's that's so perfect. <laughs> that's so perfect. Because he had that exploding heart disease. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so from uh, Naya, cut your nails on Twitter. Any? Uh, what are your thoughts on Emily not having a love interest? And do you think she gets one? I mean, yes, they have to give Emily a love interest. At this point, it's egregious that it has been so long since she has had a love interest. And I don't think she's ever going to have a love interest unless she and Allison get together, which I, I fully support. But I don't think otherwise there's no way that she's going to have the kind of love interest that resonates the way that the other liars love interests resonate. So I feel like they have to do it um, at this point, And I hope so. I hope they do it. Please, please do it. <laughs> Did you see the uh, the clip they released of Emily asking out uh, Sabrina? No, but yeah, I can get behind that. Well, I don't know if I should spoil anything or not, but uh, oh, Sabrina says no. <laughs> She's like, no thanks, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> oh, that's bullshit. No one ever says no to Emily Fields. Come on. Yeah. Thanks. It's, it's so perfect though that it's it's real life Spencer's best friend. I know it is good. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're they're in a weird place with they have all these you know end game ships or whatever, which I think is kind of I don't know damaging to like the writing. But what are you gonna do with your fan base? Where it's like you can't put in Emily with anyone else at this point because it, people won't take it seriously because they're just assuming that she's gonna get with Allison later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they yeah, so she should just get with Allison then if if that's their plan, you know. They just need to kill off uh, Rick. Oh, God, that guy. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever call him Dr. Rollins again. I think I'm just going to keep calling him Rick. Or it'll be Rollins with a W in front of it. (laughs) Rick Rollins. This is one we always get from Steph A123. If each of the main characters on PLL was a character on Game of Thrones, who would they be? Uh, Arya is Arya, obviously. She's small (laughs) and wants to murder people. Mm. Not Jon Snow. <laughs> Knows nothing. <laughs> Knows, well, constantly like mm-hmm. praised for her mediocrity, like <laughs> desperate to prove herself. 
crawling out. Actually, like has a, a lot uh, going on, but nobody ever sees the actual stuff she's got going on. Is really into photography. Crawling out from a pile of bodies on a battlefield. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to decide which one would be Marjorie. Maybe Hannah. Mona. Mona, yeah. Mona's a great Marjorie. Um, I just want to mash up all these questions and say Spencer is dauntless. <laughs> she wins the Hunger Games. <laughs> She's secretly a Targaryen and a Lannister. Oh, yeah. And she will sit on the Iron Throne of her dragons. Her, her dragons are named Arya, Emily, and Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> they would be. They say Melissa, Melissa, Melissa. <laughs> uh, here's a good one uh, from Cat765. Who swear, swears fealty to the other in the Mona and Spencer OTP? Ooh. Oh. A little 100 on it. Hmm. I think it's going to have to be Mona. I think it will have to be Mona for it to ever work in that situation. Because I don't think Spencer's going to blink when Mona's around. Certainly she's not going to like bow her head or expose her neck to Mona until <laughs> Mona swears fealty. And, it's, and it suits her. Mona's a, a much better bodyguard than she is a general. It's just that much better. Better. You know, not that I want... I, I absolutely do not want her anything to ever happen to Mona. I want I want literally bullets to not be able to get near her her <laughs> telekinetic shell, but I don't want her to have to die to reveal it. But if like she had some kind of ages old circuit chip in the back of her neck that made her omnipotent, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> That'd be a great reveal. Yeah. Oh, and like if Sarah Harvey is like secretly from the City of Light. Oh yeah, Ooh. I can see. I'm like this. All makes good sense to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mona Spencer is the ship I've been I've been trying to push. So, I I think it would definitely have to be Mona swearing fealty though. Spencer's too. I don't know. She still is kind of mean and looks down at Mona. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that relationship is thawing though. We'll see. Well, and yeah, and just the fact that Spencer is still not in a situation, uh, even five years later, where she can really feel that kind of admiration or respect that Mona just is shooting out of her crazy eyeballs at all times, <laughs> she would have to be a lot more secure. Whereas Mona is crazy enough to be happy whatever's going on. Yeah. Uh, here's one from C. Bateri. Uh, if you could bring back one character who's dead and then kill one character, uh, how, how, who would you do for that? I think R.I.P. Shower Harvey, probably. <laughs> right. I would bring back I would bring back Charlotte, and um, I would kill Ezra. Ooh. Oh. oh! Well, assuming Charlotte, I would bring, I mean, because obviously, but I would bring back Jessica. I really, I really love her, and I, we never, we never heard the story from her. Mm-hmm. She just was under different kind of horrible pressures at all times, and then got clonked on the head. Mm-hmm. And I, I would really like for her to speak up and be like, you know what, Melissa? <laughs> or, <you> know, <laughs> Ooh, what if what if it really is the book thing where the person who got buried was Mary, uh, and fake Mary's actually Jessica? <laughs> for reasons. For reasons, it all seems plausible. Yeah, <laughs> I like the idea of Ezra dying because that yeah. would. It's like how do you how do you find a way to get Arya out from you know or unattached to this anchor? And it's like. Well, you just kill off the guy, and now now she's free to be independent, and she's no longer going to be like dragged down by this I re- ship. I really do think killing off Ezra would be like throwing the ring into into the fire <laughs> at the end. Like it really would free Arya in a way that she will never be free otherwise. I think. Mm-hmm. Here's here's my fan fiction. Ezra gets arrested. He's on trial. People are actually testifying about how terrible he is, and then Nicole shows up, dirt in her hair, and shoots him. Oh. 
All right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right there I don't know. Guess. I'm just blue skying it, guys, but I feel like that's really the way to go. <laughs> I really thought there was going to be some kind of Amanda Knox guilt on freeform thing where he was crying and bitching and moaning about his dead girlfriend, and then he ended up getting called into question about it. Yeah. Because anyone who's met Ezra knows he probably killed her. Right. Yeah. Just by being incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> he was fetching the garbanzo beans and she fell off a cliff or something. It's, it's, it's like amazing to me that Ezra becomes sympathetic and humanized through Nicole, which again is the murder of another woman. And yep. that is the thing that like makes him a sympathetic character. It just blows my mind. Also, so, he has a picture on his hard drive called Femicide Rising. Yes! <laughs> well, he really, he himself as, as in the character sells that pain of being like, oh, poor me. Look what happened to me. And it's like, yeah. hey, you're alive. <laughs> yeah. God, just imagine poor Sabrina having to work with that guy. He comes downstairs. He's like wearing a T-shirt that he's been wearing for three days. He's wearing sweats. He hasn't shaved. He can't make eye contact. He smells like a toilet. He might pee himself <laughs> while talking to her about shipping things. And she's like, please just go back upstairs and let me manage your business. <laughs> So from uh, Michelle here, we have, do you think social media can ruin the surprise element of the show? Uh, stars of the show post things on social media while they're working on the set. It kind of alludes to things. What do you guys think? I mean, I think social media is, with Pretty Little Liars specifically, is like the double-edged sword. But Pretty Little Liars is the show that, in the future, when we talk about a social media revolution yeah. and the way that affected television, Pretty Little Liars is the show that we will use as an example that is both a cautionary tale and a tale of success. Mm -hmm. It changed everything about ABC Family and then Freeform's business model, which in, then started changing the way that TV was marketed to people of a certain age. Um, it, because the stars were on the show, like those, they were some of the first creators, show creators and stars to be on the show and interacting with fans. Um, and then that changed the way that networks started expecting people to be on, I mean, I just think everything about this show changed everything about the way that we watch TV and use the internet. So I don't know, like, I don't know. I, I, it, certainly it can ruin some of the surprise element, but also I don't think Pretty Little Liars would have lasted past one season without, like, the, you know, what it, what it accomplished on social media. <laughs> and I think too that there's a, we, we have, we have an initial response to something. Um, you read a tweet. You know those guys, like, everything on the internet, there's always going to be a person who's like, oh, spoilers! And <laughs> and that person is not great. That person doesn't even know if it's a spoiler or not. They're just feeling like the police that day. And so when you're, when you're scrolling through Twitter and you see something from one of the creators of the show, maybe your first response is that. But what you don't have is the wealth of information about what actually is a spoiler and what is actually going to happen that the storytellers are doing. So as part of their engaging in media, they're already making that decision. Right. And so I feel like a lot of, a lot of the <clears throat> sort of what we remember as being a shock is not actually a shock, but it happened two weeks ago. So you're not going to really remember the fact that you got upset about nothing. And I feel <laughs> like it's been spin into a conversation of their own about the kind of misuse of social media that really never comes to bear or very rarely comes to bear. And especially with pretty little liars they're on point because they have to be. Right. And it's not even about like an environment of fear, <laughs> you know, like with like a JJ Abrams show where they'll shoot you out back. Just that everybody there is interested in, in catering to the exact audience that is going to be seizing on those things. And if they decide to complain about it while it's happening, they're not going to complain about it after the fact. They're just going to remember that weird feeling. I feel like 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. I I feel like the only time I've ever seen something posted on social media before the fact that was potentially damaging to the show later, or I don't even know, maybe it was it was entirely thought out and planned, was I think Dre Davis posted a picture of herself like in the yellow top, um, which really didn't reveal her. I mean, I don't know. People thought she was Bethany Young. They didn't even think that she was Sarah Harvey or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I don't think that that stuff is spoiler because you don't have any context or anything. I mean, damaging stuff is like the one guy making an uncomfortable comment about his, you know, female co-star. And uh, now he's not on the show. Tossy for that reason. Who knows? But like, I think more damaging is like weird hashtags and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. But yeah, I think. I mean, because the most part, it's 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 crew, it's actors just saying, I'm working on the set of so-and-so. I love them. This is great. And I think what it does is it, it brings you not just into the show, but it, it makes you like these these people who create the show more, you know? And unfortunately, that can get stretched out too far with, like, queen, mother, daddy, please, yeah. please look at my art. I DMG, you have to look at my art or the world will explode. Fuck. But at the same time, I'm amazed because Orphan Black and like every show on AMC has an after show, but I'm still amazed that PLL doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But yeah, I don't, I think social media, like you said, it's, it's for the most part has been incredibly successful for PLL. And I don't think you would have a lot of shows, especially not like on Freeform, if you didn't have that same model. How I, can this be marketed to, to teens and 20 somethings? I also just want to say that like you can see, <clears throat> you can sense this pivot, um, from the, from the main actors on the show, the four four or five main actresses on the show, you can sense this pivot in their social media in the last year, and even more so as the show's sort of drawing to an end. And they're using social media to seize a moment and create their own creative empires, their own very small creative empires, in a way that, for example, the moms on Pretty Little Liars, when they were on the shows that, that they were on this age, <laughs> there was nothing for them. They After the show was over, they just had to wait around and see what was happening. These women are using social media to capitalize on something and have some bit of control over their careers and their lives in a way that most women don't in the industry. And I find that incredibly admirable. Um, and it makes me feel really excited. And I think that they're all doing a brilliant job with it. Um, and I think that they're sort of diversifying their talents and, um, and, and just capitalizing on what the internet is doing and what the internet is going to do. Uh, and that makes me really excited for them. I think that's, um, that's a thing that women just haven't had control over in, in this industry ever in their lives. Well, and, and here's a fun game. Try to imagine what, like, <clears throat> Buffy the Vampire Slayer would have looked like in social media. Right. You know, during this, yeah. during the same kind of thing. Like, think of it, it didn't have shit like Ain't It Cool News, but like Sarah Michelle Geller was posting Instagram videos of her and, you know, right. Allison Hannigan doing crazy shit. I mean, yeah. Well, and I think also social media is kind of a, you have to, you have to sign up and, and follow these people. You know, if, if you really don't want to know, you can just not follow them. Uh, I don't, and I don't think they ever post any like real spoilers. I think the show does a pretty good job of keeping the actual big twists a secret. Um, you know, knowing that somebody's on set, I think they, if, if it's really a spoiler, you're not going to find out about it. If it's like, Oh, Noel Khan's back. Obviously that, you know, I think we can just interpret that that's not going to be like a huge shock. Like, you know, it's, within the story that, that he appears. I don't know. Right. Um, These actors know how to play the game because yeah. they are the ones that created the game. Like they are the exactly. ones that created how other shows model, how they engage with fans and show spoilers and stuff like mm-hmm. they're that they are it. They're the genesis of it. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess the, the hope with social media is that you get this neat access behind the scenes, but hopefully also you kind of see that these are, are real human beings that are playing right. these characters and maybe have a little bit of distance between, you know, the, the show itself and who they are separate from that. Uh, maybe a little nicer. I don't know. That's that's a hope anyway. And to see them actually, like like you said, Heather, be a part of the image manipulation game. Exactly. That's going to find them no matter what. But they have at least, you know, they're playing at the game. They're playing at the table at least. It's fantastic. I just think it's it's like it's so it's so ironic and so interesting that they're coming from the show about surveillance culture over which they have no control at all, um, and then using their fame on that show to actually gain a bit of, a little bit of control. Um, over the way that the public perceives them and then what that will, like how that will manifest itself in their careers. I think it's, I think it's fascinating and I would love to read a book about it one day. Jacob? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that it's, it, it, I love everything that you said. Got me a little weepy. Um, but I also think that, you know, we're also talking about a generational, as, as digital natives, these young women would be doing this anyway. If somebody else got got Hannah's part, Ashley Benson would still be this good at Instagram. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. And would and would still be using it to do. They would still be using it to define themselves. So it's a good intersection of like the industry and sort of having a voice in the industry, and also the fact that it's easy as pie because there was never a world where that wasn't a necessity for being alive. Am I the only person who wants to start the Kickstarter to get Heather and Jacob to write this book? <laughs> Everybody start tweeting about it. <laughs> so here's one from Heather M. She asks, uh, what are your, some of your favorite A tags? Uh, her personal favorite is a tie between Tippy the bird being fed some chicken and uh, burning the doll's head at the blowtorch. <laughs> the, the, the Tippy chicken thing is one of the best moments on the show, period. And definitely, <laughs> definitely one of the best A tags. That was my go-to. <laughs> I like the one where A's making a little like tennis ball version of Arya with the pink streaks. Oh my god, that was so good! <laughs> Not really sure why, but <laughs> literal <They're effort>. facts. <laughs> yeah, I was just say that just reminded me that like the next episode when Ezra first saw Arya's creepy doll art, he's just like, "Remember, I'm the one who bought you a camera." <laughs> um, I. They're, all these are good. Tippy, the, Tippy with the chicken is the best one, I think. But uh, I'm just remembering the one where there's the uh, the the magazine picture heads or whatever on the bottles, and they're playing spin the bottle with the wires. Oh yeah, <laughs> the one with the um, the one with the rat pages where like the Spencer rat is gone out of the cage. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. That was the one I was thinking of. The blood sample. Mm-hmm. The blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The blood sample rats. Yeah. Oh, this has always been a favorite of mine because it's so bizarre. Is the one where A cuts the dudes like bike break or whatever oh yeah just and you're like what the fuck is this <laughs> and then like later you just hear about this guy had an accident and he can't be you know whatever the one where the the one where it's emily's face as a mask is also yes. so good uh let's see here's one from gnome uh this question's for heather so uh, gnome writes your pll recaps have been an integral part of my pll viewing experience for six years, you get the show on a different level than most fans, and also you are hilarious. Can you touch on exactly why you stopped recapping tweeting? I get that the season has dropped the ball on a lot of feminist issues that PLL was so good about in early seasons, but it's still a show about women who love each other and stand together against the shadowy threat that symbolizes real-life threats to us women face every day. 
right? Um, the first thing I want to say is that the reason that I write about Pretty Little Liars the way I write about Pretty Little Liars is because like six or seven or eight or nine years ago, um, somebody sent me a recap that Jacob Clifton wrote of the first episode of Pretty Little of I'm sorry of uh, Gossip Girl. And, um, I followed Jake, I, I like went down this rabbit hole of reading Jacob's writing and it changed my life in as profound a way as anything besides coming out has ever done. Um, and so thank you for saying that. And Jacob has been, um, that inspiration for me and he has taught me how to read and write and talk about stories in a way that I did not know existed. So there's that. The reason that I stopped, um, recapping the show toward the end is that, um, I, I think that I am in kind of a unique position with this show in writing in general, um, because of the community that I write for. And last year during the season, a couple of things happened. One was that, um, a, a, a mother contacted me. Her daughter, um, is, was gay and she had committed suicide and she left a note for me. Um, another one was, uh, a, a father who's, uh, daughter is transgender and she was in the hospital after getting beaten up by some football players at her school. And, um, I just kind of came to this place where, uh, like these kids came from Pretty Little Liars fandom. And I came to this place where I was like, um, I was having a hard time giving the show a pass and finding things to laugh about, um, when I was seeing so much real world hurt. And, um, I'm not sure. I still have a good 24 hours to decide what I'm going to do about this co-op season. Um, but the reason that I stopped is because, uh, the weight of, of seeing the, the trauma for, for real life queer women. Um, and I thought the show wasn't doing a good job and being fair to them. And so I just kind of, I kind of stopped. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I do agree with what this person says. I do think that any show where women are, the protagonist, any show where they're constantly interacting with each other and helping each other and all of those kinds of things, it's still very rare. And I do think that it's worth celebrating. And I do think that Pretty Little Liars does have a creative crew that really listens and they do want to get things right. So um, I haven't given up hope on it. I just, at that moment, it was just a little bit, it was just a little bit too much. So that is the answer to that question. Come on now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, we could say just from looking at our Twitter and the various people we follow, it's been a pretty tough year for queer fandom, so yeah. definitely understand where you're coming from there. Oh, and, and for real-life people, too. Yeah, yeah. It's been beyond horrible year. While you're looking at a question, not mm -hmm. to put you too much on the spot, Jacob, but I would think that if they're going to resurrect you know, uh, Mighty Big TV or Television About Pity, I would really hope that you're one of the first calls that it plays. <laughs> I was. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> Isn't there a, like a previously TV? Isn't that some some old mighty big TV people? Yeah, that's that was a lot of the OGs. Nice. Uh, one more question from Gnome here. Just wants to know what are, what are we currently watching that we love on TV? Um, I thought Orphan Blacks this past season of Orphan Black was phenomenal. I loved yes. it. I thought it was just so good. I can't wait to rewatch it. Um, Grace and Frankie, uh, it's just one of the best things I've ever seen on television. And it's very, it's so real and so sweet and so sad and, um, just hopeful and wonderful in a way that a lot of shows about, uh, women don't get made. Unreal is really, really good. Yeah. Those are probably the top, my top three favorite things right now. Unreal is easily my favorite television show of the last two years. It's, it's, uh, it's reoriented me towards television in a way that 
I would have thought after 15, 16 years, I was, uh, like the guy who makes the horror movies is can't get scared at horror movies. Mm -hmm. Right. And Unreal is a horror movie that gets to me (laughs) on a level that I don't, I don't think was entirely available to me with Pretty Little Liars because I'm subject to some of those pressures, but not all of them. And, uh, and Unreal makes me feel like, a 13 year old girl who has just turned on Pretty Little Liars for the first time and has never had to think about any of this shit. And it is, it is wonderful television. I, uh, I just binged Unreal, like the, you know, first season and the two episodes, like in like two days because, because uh, <laughs> Jacob posted a Facebook memory thing that was like a year ago. I, I saw the, the best pilot I've seen in a long time. And so I was like, I'll try the pilot of Unreal. Okay. And it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah. and then like, like you said, other Orphan Black was, been so fucking good like like rejuvenated yeah. good yes and then on on the eve of like the the finale to an incredible season like they announced that there's only going to be one more which oh good move um and then uh like on the 100 i started watching a few months ago um because i'd seen the pilot a long time ago i wasn't interested and then i finally watched a few more and i found some characters that i really liked amidst a bunch of characters i really can't stand <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually was watching uh, an old TV movie called Cast a Deli Spell on TV last night. Other than that, just, I don't know what, I mean, the, the usual stuff, Game of Thrones, I don't know. Um, I, I, hey, if somebody has a new show that I can watch, I'd like to hear about it. Oh, I want to shout out Steven Universe, which is doing some of the best storytelling on TV right now, too. It's like so far beyond what you think of as animated TV. It's fantastic. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've been trying to think shows that i love i mean you know i watch orphan black and game of thrones and whatnot um otherwise i feel like i watch a lot of shows that i'm not really sure why i'm watching them like all these comic book shows they're kind of like mildly diverting but i wouldn't say i love them really um i don't know i need some new shows oh preacher oh. I, it's not it's uh... not getting quite the uh ratings that i expected it's uh I, I read the comics of course when they came out and they're problematic as hell but uh <laughs> The show itself is is really turning into something special. There's having it on AMC when you look at Breaking Bad and um, Zombie Show and and things where the men beat each other up and it's great. <laughs> and the only way that you know a man is bad is if he mistreats a woman. Mm-hmm. And in Preacher, that's not really the math. That women aren't really objects for that. And a lot of it is about men beating up on each other. And uh, and it's bad and gross. And yucky, and there's a lot of downward pressure towards male children to sort of reenact these worn-out masculinities. It's just, it's, it's, it's like the comics in certain ways, but as its own art, I'm, I'm, I'm really connecting with it. So there's one. I, I watched the pilot, and it definitely was not what I was expecting from the comics. Um, it was much more playful than I was expecting, and I came to it from a place of not really liking Seth Rogen, but being genuinely pleasantly surprised, I think, by by that pilot. Oh, also, I watched an episode of Winona Earp uh, last mm. night, and I was like, you know what? I might, I might watch some more. This is fun. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, but I always like kind of those crazy sci-fi channel shows. Um, like, I don't like Dark Matter, but I do like Dark Matter. Um, <laughs> I don't like Dark Matter. I can't believe you made me watch that. <laughs> I don't like it as much as Killjoys. Okay. Uh, but I do like it a lot. And also, if we're talking about sci-fi, I really like The Magicians as well, speaking of sort of women and science fiction tropes. This is where Benjamin Light goes on an hour-long rant about the adaptation process for The Magicians. Uh, I'm going to hold my powder. 
<laughs> but yeah, that that was a fun show for me, having only read three chapters of the book. <laughs> yeah, my my relationship with those books was incredibly complicated. I hated them so much that I bought each one of them in hardback and read it the day it came out. <laughs> <laughs> and I could never stop. And then the the show just did everything right by me. I thought it was one of the most continually enjoyable scene by scene. Can't even explain why I'm enjoying myself as much as I am kind of shows. And, and those are rare, especially with The Good Wife going up the air. I mean, if I could make one defense of the magician's books, I guess it would be that I liked that the main character was so horrible and, didn't, <laughs> and really didn't know it. Um, and so I guess if it, I liked being able to read it and kind of like consider all the other characters and kind of, you know, have my own alternate take on things. Whereas a TV show, I guess just necessarily it's more multi point of view. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Quentin Coldwater. What an ass. If I could take. <laughs> One thing from the magicians and, and grafted on the PLO. I would love to see all of the liars end up in a mental hospital with Sarah Harvey and they do Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> <laughs> that would be magic to me. I, I don't know. I'd fall under that spell forever. I think Heather's already gotten that one about halfway written. Oh, good. <laughs> I do. I'm close. I'm really close. <laughs> Did have one question from a girl crush Emerson on Twitter. Apparently, there's a wedding this season of the four main relationships. Who do you think it is? I'm going to think it's going to be Hannah and Caleb. Yeah. Oh, we haven't talked about Spalib at all. Mm. You guys have any thoughts, feelings, or emotions on on that whole plot line? I love it. (laughs) I I just think Troy and Belisario has chemistry with everyone and everything. (laughs) And whoever it is that they pair her up with, it just, it's like fire. And mm-hmm. so, like, even though it's, it, you know, you, you knew it was doomed, it was still really sexy while it was happening. It was sexy because it was sexy, but it was also sexy because there was something super fucked up about it. <laughs> I think out of, out of all of the sort of cosmetic changes and things that everybody's been going through and they all have these careers and they all have bangs, it, that <laughs> made me feel the most like time had passed. They seemed like grown up people. Right. Who, like you and I, you know, who were like, right. well, I guess we're having sex now, so that's weird. <laughs> it it, it yeah. drove home the sort of tonal change in a way that not a whole lot of the other of the other changes. I mean, they added up to something, but that was the one where I was like, wow, I, I really believe in these people. Mm-hmm. That's a great assessment, and I completely agree with you about that. Well, I think that whereas to so many people, all of us included, Charlotte's demise seems like a misstep. Spalub seemed like a confident move because you wouldn't step down that road unless you knew exactly all the steps in that dance, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the way you said, Heather, like, Troyan has chemistry with literally everything that the light touches. I mean, yeah. that scene where she's watching <laughs> Hannah and Caleb have a plan and reconnecting on level, like, Spencer has chemistry with that wine glass that she is drinking and then eating. <laughs> Um, like they, you know, they had to stop putting Spencer and Jason into scenes together because she had so much chemistry with that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's the wedding. I, I suspect it's gonna be Ezra and Arya. I don't know. It seems too soon for Caleb and Hannah. Like, I guess I don't know how they pull out of that relationship now. I mean, Spencer's in love, and now it's like, oh no, it's cool. I'll go back to my best friend, marry her. I, I don't know what they do there. Um, poor Spencer. 
but I I did really like the the Spencer Caleb relationship, and it it did feel more mature. It wasn't like oh we're high school sweethearts and now we're gonna lose our virginity together. It was more like hey we're just kind of into each other. <laughs> yeah, <We're> adults. <laughs> and I I'm sorry to me like their relationship makes more sense than Hannah and Caleb. Like I feel like oh Hannah... you're gonna get murdered. <laughs> I know I'm gonna get hunted down. But I I feel like Hannah and Caleb made sense for high school. Spencer and Caleb make sense for, for being adults in the future. Um, I, I tell you who I don't want the wedding to be. Spoby. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. Never, never Spoby. None for Toby. None. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd, I'd rather see Spencer and Mona get married. That'd be awesome. Yes. Imagine what that would look like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one. What do you guys think Nolcon and Jenna have been up to the past five years? <sighs> Oh, just whatever it is, you know, it's just glorious, terrible, <laughs> successful, and evil, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last time we talked about it, Heather, you, I think it was you, it might have, it might have been one of the bros, um, the idea that he was, that Nolcon, uh was still very deeply closeted and had hooked up with guys in college and it was weird. I, yeah, I, I think it seems very obvious. Yeah. So, five years after that, where is he? I want to say there's like a startup where there's like the majority of, of the female employees are all in like product management and user experience. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. Then he's like, he thinks that he's like super woke, but then he's like, Oh, you know, like you're just being over dramatic. I'm going to ask my boys about it. And then they all go out and drink. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think, Heather, you had also posited that he would be, I like how everyone has come back as like, like potentially like a, like a mini CEO or something, like even fucking mm-hmm. Lucas, who was never portrayed as that smart. Like he couldn't even do online betting, but now he runs a company and has places in Tokyo. But like, I think you would posit that Noel would have started a website, one of those like, like banging my ex-girlfriend in a van dot com or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> something, I think, I think the way you put it is that he would have a position where he could, he could, I don't bring in the glories of like, like marketing, like female flesh or something like that. And I could see him doing that. I don't know about Jenna. Jenna's the one that I can't, I can't wrap my head around because the show left her in such a, I felt like dark place so many times. Um, I mean, the point when Arya is just like watching her cry in her room and then (laughs) runs out. Like, I just, I don't know, like, what is what is Jenna's happy ending? Like, what else can they take from her? I think that actually wasn't Arya, that was Anita. That's true. <laughs> Keep it straight. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't... I think that Jenna would like any kind of life where she had any kind of control over what happened to her. Is that a snake? It's a cicada. Oh, okay. I was like... The snakes are f***ing lagging. How perfect! <laughs> how perfect to talk about like Jenna and there's like a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say concert flautist. Oh, sure. But honestly, I think uh, I think therapy. I think Annie Sullivan is head- headed for the hills, mm. and Jenna could deal with trauma in a in a unique way that would help her with her demons. That's what I want to uh, put out there. Didn't she go to prom with Lucas? I think that was in the prom episode. <laughs> what if she's like Lucas's wife that we just haven't heard about or something? What if she's the brains behind all of Lucas's stuff? Like Lucas yeah. as she's 
Like, he's not a smart guy. Yeah. He went to school with that mud on his shoes after he busted up the Memorial Valley. He's not a smart dude. Maybe Jenna's the, the brains behind Lucas's whole deal. Either Jenna or, or Noel Khan should be, because Lucas, he had that whole, like, phase he went through where, like, he got a bad report card, and then he, like, burned it in a trash can to show, like, how, how emo he was or something. I, I can't buy him being a startup success. One of, whoever it is is, like, He's, they have to explain it to him using like eBay method methodology. Like, it's like I'm really good at eBay. Explain it to me that way. <laughs> I would literally take anybody as the brains behind Lucas. <laughs> what if it's still just Mona? It would make a lot of sense. It would. It would. If if Lucas somehow found like Maya's online diary thing and it had like a business plan <laughs> in it, he just followed that and made money off of it accidentally. That would make more sense to me. That's what Maya knew. MayaNew.com. That's what Maya knew. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe it's what they're manufacturing those like latex Mission Impossible masks that people will start ripping off. I want so much of that in PLO now. I want that to be yeah. all of season seven. Yeah. I want an entire room of Detective Wildings. Yes. Like <laughs> they think everything's fine. They're going to a surprise party and then it's just a million Detective Wildings. <laughs> I, I legitimately want a sex scene or a love scene. Work for wearing masks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, so the masks, I think, are how they can bring back Charlotte. Now that they've established that anyone can look like anyone, that's that should be a real short trip to be like, oh no, that was just a the body they found in the morgue. Or the the drug that, that Ken and Jason were under, where they were like effectively comatose but awake or whatever. Well, the way yeah. the, the way her death was shot was so weird, where they like they showed the body, but not the face, and just had Toby say, like, oh, yeah, it's Charlotte De Laurentiis. <laughs> and it was like, is it really? Why didn't you show us? And then later on, we see her in in the church. I don't know. I'm, I'm very Toby, suspicious of the whole, that whole business. Toby's like, don't even bother with the autopsy. I'm just yeah. telling you, it's Charlotte. And then it's actually Ooh. Toby's dead? And Charlotte's <laughs> been pretending to be him the whole season? Okay. Yeah. And that's yes. how Toby's like, been closing cases? <laughs> Well, Toby's the one who engineers them finding out about Mary Drake. Like, Spencer wants to go do some shenanigans under the Radley, and then Toby's just like, oh, I was just looking at these blueprints, and over here, let's check this out instead. So, I don't know, I'm suspicious of Toby right now. I mean, I like your critical eye. I still feel like it's giving Toby too much credit. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we should probably close out uh, top Uber A suspects. It's hard to keep track of all the suspects because there's so many interested parties now, but... Assuming that Mary and Rollins aren't aren't Uber A. I heard the W. I heard the W for Rollins. <laughs> yep. Uber Rollins. I would love it if, if Charlotte came back and was engineering her own her own justice. I don't even know if that's possible. But I would like that. I would like that too. I would love that, in fact. I remember when we when we first talked we were all like, I don't even really care who A is, you know? These are the storylines I care about. And I don't know. I don't, I, at this point, I don't know if I could even venture a guess who Uber A could be or AD or whatever. I do just want Charlotte to come back. Um, and I'll take a flashback or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of want it to be like the whole town or something. Like something where like it's it's seemingly everyone who's not the liars are all involved in, in this happening. Including you as a resident of yeah. Rosewood? <laughs> Sitting in the corner of the coffee shop at 4 a.m. Wearing a mask of your own face. <laughs> Making notes for my book. My true crime novel. True crime novel. He wrote a novel that's about himself. That's just, oh, man. 
Mm. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I also never told him was a lie. Told him. Yeah. Uh, so I guess one last question, though. As I asked Norman Buckley if he had questions for us, uh, and his question was, um, how do you want the show to end? Hmm. Heather? I would, for me, a successful end for this show is the liars seizing their power and and making very clear that they are the ones who have come to this place where they have solved whatever mystery they need to solve within themselves to get out of it. Like, I want to, I want to see that they have agency. I want to know that they have agency. I want to see them empowered. And I don't care who they end up with. And I don't care who the bad guy is. I just want, at the end of the day, this girl, these girl, these women who have had all of their control taken away from them and been abused and exploited in so many ways to like find their own power individually in a way that's, that's real and, and makes sense for their characters. I love that. I think, um, there's this whole thing about, about detective stories, like a sort of structure that came out of noir that the detective, you know, gets into the case and then he doesn't want to do the case and then he finally does the case and then he thinks he solved it, but he hasn't, you know, like it's just basic save the cat shit. Mm-hmm. But that in the end, the, the, when the culprit is discovered, that's the detective sort of taking the, um, taking the poison out of, out of the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, that it's almost like a, a symbolic scapegoating where, by by solving this, you have also made the world less gross. Right. And was with being the grossest place in the world. And then this A, this third A, being specifically about justice and whatever sick way they're going about it, is a really powerful thing to me. And putting those two things together, if Rosewood was somehow redeemed by these girls, you know, finally finally getting the superpowers that has that they've slowly been crushed into having all this time. That that would make me really happy because I think ultimately, even if Rosewood isn't the bad guy, Rosewood is the bad guy. Right. And in terms of it being a noir thriller, making Rosewood safe for for women and children and people would would do it for me. Because you got Mona and her deal was sort of about cliquish teenager high shit, you know, high school bullshit. And then you've got Stacy, who was about the very real sort of overwhelming patriarchal force that's killing us all right and uh and that you know wore itself out on her body in in some pretty horrific ways so the idea of this last a being you know the kind of angel of of redemption or disclosure that allison de laurence has always tried to be i think could work in tandem with that and would also be satisfying as a as a mystery what you guys said is, is perfect i just try to think what would be a good last image you know i mean you want the four girls together. I mean, they've done the thing where they all hug and quote Winnie the Pooh and drive off to college together. And so I just think to myself, like, how the hell do you top that? You know, I mean, is it is it just literally like Rosewood falls into the hell mouth and they all <laughs> smile and ride off in a bus together? Or I mean, I don't know. I just I just want to see the four of them together and know that it's a, a bright future that doesn't have a scary flash forward following it but part of me secretly wants the show to end with like an a tag (laughs) that somehow doesn't contradict like them like you said having power and agency and a potential happy ending uh and the world being less gross ahead of them so i don't know i mean somewhere something in all that all that in a blender and mixed up pretty delicious i think i have two specific things that i want i want the liars to all dance to little lies by fleetwood mac and like maybe like the last scene before the montage, like after they've defeated 
the villain, they just go party. Kind of like that one, I think it was season two, maybe, of Orphan Black that ended that way. Where they just all dance, like dance party. Um, I want that. And then I want the, uh, like the wire ending where we see like what every character is doing at the end, you know, and like kind of all their, you know, not necessarily an end to their story, but just like, here's, here's what they're doing. Here's the continuation of the cycle. And you kind of, you know, cut to Paige and Nolkan and Lucas and, you know, the tombstone where Ezra is and, and all that stuff. And I think the last shot would be like, <laughs> a beach somewhere where Moda's having uh, cocktails with the Charlotte and it's like, uh uh-huh, she's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, it would be very great to have a five year, like a five years forward flash in the same traumatizing way it always is. But then it just shows all four liars individually doing the most boring, normal shit. (laughs) Like Hannah's cooking an egg and Emily's like reading a book. (laughs) Like (laughs) It's just okay. It's just okay. Yeah. That'd be great. What would Allie be doing? I don't know any. I don't know Allie anymore. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Maybe she's somebody I... else in a mask right now. Being <laughs> loved. Jesus, if Allie could just be somewhere being loved, I think that would yeah. be such a wonderful end to that story. I almost want her to save a girl in the alley from a vampire, you know, and <sighs> and tell her it's going to be okay. Um, or what is the thing for Buffy? The literal like, uh, but you're just a girl, and she's like, that's what I keep saying. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think the signs signs of of the liar's growth have um, has always come through most clearly in demonstrations of compassion. Mm. You had Anita, and you had Hannah getting her shit together with Anne, and then I mean, trying to save Cece at that last moment. Uh, maybe just either Allison or Arya like sitting down next to Jenna on a park bench <laughs> and just being cool for one second. I think that would be really awesome. Mm. It would be really awesome. Yeah. That would be just in terms of having the being full enough that you could spare compassion for someone who doesn't deserve it, I think is, is in line with the ethics of the show. Maybe it could be Allie and Jenna throwing plates together at the plate. <laughs> <laughs> While Lady Gaga's playing. We got to get back to that plate exactly. throwing place. You're right. Or just Hannah and Spencer, like giving Mona a hug, <laughs> telling them, telling her that they never gave her enough credit or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Sorry if we didn't get to some of your questions. Tried to pull all the ones that uh, seemed interesting. A lot of these we've kind of been asked before, so I'm trying to look for new stuff. Uh, but thanks to everyone who sent us questions. Thank you, Heather and Jacob, for joining us. Thank yeah, you so of course. Much. Yeah, a lot. You know, one question we did get asked a lot is: Are, are you guys excited for the new season? It sounds like we are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, so can't wait. It, uh, by the time you listen to this, it's probably going to be airing very shortly uh, but yeah thanks you guys for joining us and uh hope to talk to you again soon oh, thanks guys, guys. Uh, love you out there love you <laughs> Bye.